lifetime of hard work and devotion. His record was brilliant, and he had achieved a measure of renown far greater than that of most generals. He was, as everyone associated with him knew, reliable in all things at all times, and an officer to be reckoned with. Sober and unsmiling, he entered his own suite and started into his office. The officer who sat in the adjoining room glanced up, saw the new stars on Lee's shoulders, and hastily joined him. Colonel Henry Hayward was Lee Blake's deputy, and his pleasure at the promotion of his superior was genuine. "'Congratulations, sir,' he said. "'You've made it at last.' Lee nodded and shook his hand firmly. "'I must admit, Henry, I'd be far more pleased if you and I were going to continue working together.' A cloud passed over Colonel Hayward's face. "'As it happens, Lee, I've tendered my resignation to the general staff today.' Effective immediately, I'm leaving at once for Richmond, Virginia. Lee stiffened as he nodded. Richmond had just become the capital city of the Confederacy. I've been informed on excellent authority, Colonel Hayward said carefully, that I shall be offered the star of a brigadier general in the Confederate Army. Lee sighed. For whatever it's worth to you, he said, you deserve a promotion but I'd rather you received it from the U.S. Army. There was an awkward silence. I wish to God, Colonel Hayward said, that this terrible schism weren't happening, but we seem powerless. The South Carolinians swore they'd secede if Lincoln was elected, and now they've done it. They've been followed by other states, and I've got to be loyal to my native Georgia. Now they were on the verge of becoming sworn enemies, each under oath to thwart the efforts of the other and if necessary, to kill him. The nightmare was just beginning, and Lee had a feeling that it would grow much worse. Hayward straightened, brought his right hand to his forehead in a crisp salute, and then extended it. Lee saluted smartly in return, and then grasped his deputy's hand. There was no need for words. In fact, neither was able to speak in this moment of farewell. When they next encountered each other, they would be foes. The inauguration of Abraham Lincoln on March 4, 1881, had been a gloomy affair. The President's inaugural address, delivered in a downpour of rain, had been cautiously worded in order to prevent the defection of the four remaining southern states that had not yet declared their plans to secede, but his efforts were in vain, and now it was obvious that these states would join the rest of the South in establishing the Confederacy. There was no longer any question about it. America was going to be trapped into fighting a vicious and bloody civil war. The President conferred at length with his secretaries of war and the Navy. Then, disregarding the lateness of the hour, he summoned William H. Seward, Secretary of State, and Salmon P. Chase, Secretary of the Treasury, to the Executive Mansion. Seward and Chase were startled to find President Lincoln in his carpet slippers. He offered them mugs of hot chocolate, which they gratefully accepted and then he immediately got down to the urgent business at hand. "'Well, gentlemen,' he said in his flat, nasal accent, "'the fat is in the fire for sure. I am afraid there is no way we can avoid a war with the Confederacy unless we admit the unthinkable and grant the southern states the right to secede at will.' Seward shook his head. "'That's impossible, of course,' he declared flatly. We've taken the position that the Union is indissoluble, and we must hold to that position at all costs. Chase nodded. It won't be easy. In fact, it will be damned expensive. But I'm afraid Mr. Seward is right. 
This is the greatest crisis the United States has ever faced. President Lincoln scratched his cheek. What concerns me at this point is whether we'll be able to afford the luxury of waging an expensive war. I've read your report, he added to Seward, to the effect that the British are going to give quiet support to the Confederacy. I've confirmed that unfortunate fact from several impeccable sources, Mr. President, Secretary Seward replied, and I'm afraid it's so. The British will keep their aid as quiet as possible, but I think you can depend on it that they're planning to support the Confederacy to the hilt. Lincoln nodded, and there was a faint trace of a smile on his lips as he said, Can't say as I blame them. If I were the Prime Minister, I might be tempted to support them too. However, I dare say we'll fool a great many people before this war ends. What concerns me is the financing. I shudder to think of what it's going to cost us to pay for all the uniforms, rifles,